You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. very long, you know that our family did this huge cross-country move about a year and a half ago. And within weeks of being here, a few of my new friends that knew about the podcast made a list for me. They made a list of people that I needed to start meeting and chatting with. And so this has been great to have pre-screen friends, like those friend recommendations on Facebook. Well, I have that like in real life, these, all these recommendations. Um, And to be honest, Christy, you were on my list from the moment I got here and people were like, you need to talk to Christy. She has the most amazing story about adoption and being a missionary and, you know, just being a mom homeschooling and and doing all these things. And you're going to really want to talk to her. And um, honestly, I was a little intimidated. So (laughs) I thought, oh, she's this amazing lady. And then we sat down next to each other at a little mom's conference and I saw your name tag and I thought, oh, that's her. Do I introduce myself? I'm kind of like embarrassed. She's like an amazing woman. And um, so then we have slowly been getting to know each other and um, we're going to try something new today. Today we're on a three-way call and I just want to give a chance, Christy, you introduce yourself and Abby, and then I'm going to take it back and, and start all over again. Okay. My name is Christy Campbell and um, yeah, I'm a mom to five children from age 23 to 14. I'm married to my husband, Ryan, for the last 27 years. And yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. So my name is Abby Grace Milberger. I am Christy's daughter, recently married, um, and I got married this fall. And then I graduated from college in May, almost a year ago. And so I am just kind of figuring out married life, what I want to do in my career and living in Nashville and enjoying it. That's great. I'm so excited to have you both with me today. Now, before we jump into the topic, this is the point where I want to give the mamas a heads up because we're going to be discussing a really raw and challenging situation and a topic. So these are the kinds of conversations that we really should be having as women, as moms and as daughters um, in varying ages and stages of life. But to be honest, it might be tough. So mamas, put your earbuds in or maybe take a quiet drive alone as you join us in this conversation. We're glad you're here. So Christy, if we can, I'd like to start with you. We had this interview scheduled weeks ago, which which is kind of cool. we, there were so many things that we could talk about. We finally just said, let's put it on the calendar. Let's do an interview. And we have no idea what subject we're going to be talking about. And uh, so in our, my mind was the adoption and homeschooling and missionary life and all these things. But then you posted something on Facebook. And when I read it, my mind shift changes. And I said, sent you a message and I said, I think this is what we're supposed to talk about. Um, Would you talk to Abby and see if that's okay with her? And so now here we are for the first time, a three-way call. And uh, I would love to hear you start out, Christy, with um, maybe what you shared and where your heart came that day. Yes, sure. So 
like you said, we are, we are a homeschooling family, um, very, you know, conservative, been in ministry our entire adult lives. And, uh, you know, we've raised our kids with very conservative values. And um, our daughter, Abby, who's here with us today, we sent her off to college. We were living in Africa at the time, and um, we settled her in a Christian school in North Carolina. We felt very good about and very safe place. And uh, we ended up walking through just a real hard time. She um, got into a, an abusive relationship and um, she, she kept it pretty quiet for a variety of reasons. And she walked through that and I guess we'll unpack that a little bit, but basically that day that I shared, she, I were very proud of the fact that as she's walked through the aftermath of that, she sort of began to raise her voice, the volume of her voice a little bit in increments because she doesn't want other girls to, to walk through the same kinds of hurts that she walked through. And, and in the event that they face those, she wants them to, to come out as healthy as possible. And so that day she had, she had shared bits and pieces before on her social media, but that morning uh, she, she had shared a reel that she had made just basically being very raw and telling her story. And, you know, I feel pretty strongly as a mom, especially of older teenage and young adult kids that, you know, you can't tell their story for them on social media. You have to respect that. And um, so I had never shared her story on social media, but that day I just felt prompted to reach out to her and ask her if I could share her reel. And so I did, I shared it on Facebook, uh, her reel, which is a little commentary how, about how it was for us as parents walking through that. And I just got an overwhelming amount of responses to that. And really, um, you know, my heart in sharing it was, I guess, first of all, so that if there were other moms who were facing it or who had faced it, that needed community, that they would know that I was willing to be a part of that community. And um, secondly, I think just to show the fact that God can redeem and heal anything. And you know, we've learned walking through this with Abby, it's almost like there's this, I, I call it the whisper club that a lot of women have been initiated into and they don't know because we don't talk about it, but they need to know because in the isolation, in the loneliness, in the shame, that's where I feel like the enemy really can get a foothold. And so I feel like the light can, can drown out the darkness. And so it's just something that I think Abby and I both feel like there needs to be a lot of light shined on this topic. Wow. Yeah. And okay. So I have to say, I actually haven't seen that reel and I didn't realize that there was one because I jumped in when you posted um, a, a verbal response. And uh, so Abby, why don't you take me back maybe to that reel yeah, so I love social media. I think a lot of people have different preferences on their likes, dislikes. Social media for me has been something that has really been like a community cultivator. So when I created that reel, it was for the purpose of one, sharing my story, because part of my story is that we will get into later is my um, abuser or the person I was in a relationship with my court case against them was on Valentine's Day. And so 
part of that holiday for me, that week is always remembering that. And one, it's hard, but two, it's something that I've come to a place that I've overcome. And so a lot of people during this time are sharing like very heartfelt, emotional messages, but I wanted to share the rawness of the fact that that's a reality of something I remember every Valentine's Day. And so I, in the real, shared just kind of like, you know, this many years ago, I went through this, it was really hard, and now I'm in a happy marriage, married to my best friend, and I live what I would say is a really successful life for a person who has been a victim of domestic violence and abuse. And so I just wanted to share that one to spread a light on what is happening. Like my mom said, there's a lot of people in this community who do not even announce that they're part of the community because they're so filled with shame about that. But two, I wanted to share that there can be light after darkness and there can be hope when it looks hopeless and just the journey through that. So I think social media for me is a great place to find community, but also to realize that you can be part of a community you might not even recognize yet. So this Whisper Club is part of also the community you're talking about, right? From Abby's perspective and then from mom, Christy's perspective, you're both kind of like part of the same Whisper Club, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in different roles, you know, Abby as a victim, me as a, as a mom of a victim, but yeah. And I think there's a temptation from both ends to feel shame, even for me as a mom to feel shame, like why didn't we recognize it sooner? Why, you know? What did we do that might maybe allowed her to let that happen? Although, you know, it's foolish. And for any other woman, I would say, what are you talking about? But it's still what you battle as a mom. Yeah, yeah. Because everywhere we go, our influence as a mother follows our children. So we always, anything that happens to our children, we always kind of put through that grid. Sure. Okay, so... Let's step back even further and just tell me about the situation, Abby. You were in college, right? And your parents were in Africa. So you didn't have any family here. You were just in a dorm or what did that look like? Yeah. So for me, my freshman year of college, I graduated from a international school overseas where my parents were serving as missionaries. And I had, like my mom had, expressed a pretty, you know, just conservative and like hope-filled childhood. I feel like the world and still feel to this day that the world is a very hopeful place. And although it is dark, like as a person who loves the Lord, you get to fill it with light. And so I had that perspective of just seeing the light in everybody and seeing how much hope there is in the darkness. And so I moved from that setting to America. My parents had to teach me how to drive, how to have a bank account, just lots of very like impressionable lessons that I was so focused on. I think some of the other things around me kind of just got swept under the rug. So when I met this person that was a bit manipulative and coercive, I don't think that I necessarily realized that as dangerous because they wanted to have close community with me when it felt like everything else was unfamiliar and far away. And so that was a really great tactic for them to use to their advantage for me to be taken in. And so I think, yes, because I was more vulnerable, that person saw that and my parents were far away. I had grandparents in the States, 
But I think a parent, like a person's relationship with their grandparents versus their parents, especially after living in another country, as great as it could be is not the same as it is with your parents or a best friend. So when someone initiated like having a relationship with me and making me seem like a very desirable candidate, it was obviously something that I wanted to participate in. And um, they targeted me as the person that they wanted to be in a relationship with from freshman orientation. So that is something that I consistently tell people, if you are in a vulnerable state or you find yourself in a place where you know you're not your best self, or you know that someone is going to easily be able to kind of push you in a, in a low spot, kind of hit you with a low blow, maybe it's not the best time to date. And I don't think that I knew that then. I knew that I didn't want to date, but I also knew that I was lonely. And for me, it was easier to date that person and believe the things that they were saying because I was lonely and there was no family structure around me to kind of remind me of who I was in that moment that I was taken in. So yes, I was alone. And yes, I was quickly brought into a relationship when everything else was unfamiliar. Well, and I want to say too, Pam, that this young man, I remembered him like we went to our freshman orientation and didn't even meet him that day, like face to face. But I remember him. He was a very charismatic, very um, vocal. He was just charming, a charming young man, so much so that when we left that day, even though we hadn't actually been introduced later when I was back in Africa and Abby told me this was the young man that she was dating, she said, do you remember him from, I remembered him, like he was just a very charming young man studying to be a pastor. And so he just had this beautiful way with words and he was just, he was exactly what a young woman who'd been raised to love Jesus and wanted a home and a family might be attracted to initially. You know, a strong, charismatic personality. And you probably breathed a sigh of relief from all across the pond thinking, oh, I'm so glad that it was this young man and not a dangerous one, right? Yeah, pretty much. Now, I will say my husband from the beginning, he, he had some discernment red flags but I mean and the young man did the things that he should have like after he and Abby started talking he asked if he could FaceTime us we FaceTimed him he was open to all kinds of questions uh although he was a bit dodgy with a few of his answers I just felt like it was nervousness whereas my husband he he had his antennas up far earlier than I did but but yeah, it was not, when Abby went into this relationship, she was not being rebellious. She was not being defiant. She was not chasing after, you know, the kind of boy that we all don't want our girls. Like th that was not what we were facing at all. And I, I will say this too, she was lonely. And it, from that perspective, when she called a few weeks into school and told us that she was, you know, wanting to date this young man, for me, I felt a comfort in the fact that she was finding some community with him. It, I, it didn't strike me as a red flag. It struck me as, oh, maybe this is, you know, God providing um, some comfort for her. I think it's really hard too, when we don't live with someone because we can't see like their countenance, right? If they walk in the door, did that meeting that they just, what the meeting they were just at, did it, it 
bring them home happy or did it bring them home frustrated? Um, you know, what is those? Because there's so many more responses. And especially in your case, you had to do an international connection and, and be very intentional to say, hey, I want to talk about this. And, right. and sometimes I feel like when when we're in certain situations, we maybe guard our conversations and only let on certain aspects of it or certain, especially um, if, if it's going to be something that we know is agreeable or disagreeable by the person on the other end, right? Exactly. So you guys dated for, okay, so you just like, did he ask Ryan's permission then to date her? Is that what you're saying? He did. He yeah. did. And, um, you know, Ryan gave it willingly with, like I said, with antennas up and they began dating like right after school started by, by the end of August, they were dating. Okay. And then, yeah, Abby, then kind of, how did it go from there? So to start the relationship, I remember one day I was, I had this app on my phone through my school where different kind of clubs and things would have your information and common interests would kind of attract people to each other. And so this person asked me to attend something that they were going to be at and I wasn't interested in, but they saw my information through this app. And so they had the ability to contact me. And because I said no to hanging out then, they said, well, why don't we go out to grab, you know, a slushy or something like that after. And so I agreed to do that. And from that point on, they were always alone with me. They never requested to be with me in groups of people. It was often that there would be things of common interest, but then, you know, they would default and say, well, no one showed up. I invited other people or we would go out to a restaurant. It was supposed to be a group. And so that's kind of how things started. I didn't have a lot of community and they found my information very quickly. Like my mom said, they had very just like bubbly personalities seemed to be extravagantly kind. and they, although they found me quickly, they didn't really necessarily want it to be us and a bunch of other people. So it's kind of this exclusive thing, which attracted me because I really wanted deep community. However, I chose unknowingly to have community with this person that was not interested in cultivating community with others. So it became, as exciting as it was, a very quickly, um, like a sort of a prison. And so we had this relationship. They would take me on dates. They would be really excited and um, kind of hype me up. And then over time, the relationship got to be a list of rules of things about me that they were going to overlook, but I needed to change in order for them to stay with me. So it would be things as in like what I would wear. I would wear something super modest that I would consider to be, you know, not any kind of indicator of anything and they would tell me that I needed to change or I would say something about having a group project with another person and they would tell me even though it was a guy with other girls in the group that I couldn't be in that group for the group project even though it was assigned by a professor because that man would be attracted to me and so it became these big jealousy red flags or just issues of other people finding me attractive that I couldn't have going on if I wanted to keep that relationship with them, which in no way was I trying to 
like initiate it all? Or was I trying to leave that relationship? I was happily with them. It was kind of just like overnight, these things started to creep in on me. And I began to be cornered alone with this person. And my parents, I'm sure my mom will share, had some indicators that this was happening, but it was happening so slowly that it was almost like in ignorance that it was going on around me. So whereas normally you go to a new school and you are like soaking up all the different people and the different clubs and all the things and your um, horizon is expanding, you hit the ground maybe with an expectation it would uh, expand. And then uh, this person kind of started to narrow it down, narrow it down and narrow it down so that then you kind of had one choice, one connection. And if you were to withdraw from that, you didn't have any sort of support system around you anymore. No, like you said, no, no friendship or no, um, I can't remember what word you use. Christy, help me out. Maybe community. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say Pam, like for us, so they started dating in August and really through the fall, we weren't super concerned. Um, even in November, my brother passed away. So I made a trip back to the States and I did get to meet him and, you know, spend some time with him. And again, I, I just felt like it was okay, you know, and, um, you know, we were keeping an eye on it. It wasn't until late December. So at that point they'd been dating maybe four or five months uh abby came to visit us in spain we had to go to a work conference in spain so we added on vacation time and paid for her to come join us and our whole family spent three weeks together in spain and one night at the conference uh we were in rooms next door to each other um and abby was over in our room and we were talking and the phone in her room kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And I'm talking like, as soon as they would hang up, it would start again. So probably after about seven or eight minutes of solid ring, I said, Abby, go answer that phone and see who it is. So she walked next door and probably 45 minutes later, she came back to our room and it was obvious she'd been crying and he was angry because he'd been trying to get a hold of her and he didn't know where she was. And, you know, she said, I'm in Spain with my parents, you know, where I am, but he was mad because he didn't know where she was at that minute. And at that point, that is when Ryan and I really began to realize, hmm, this isn't just like a few little red flags. This is a problem. And, and we, we kind of talked to Abby about it a little bit. She wasn't real open. And, you know, we, we just really, I think we began to pray more than anything that if there was, if our concerns were valid, that it would be brought to light, you know, but little did we know that that was really the beginning of, of the horrors for her, because it was when she went back from that trip from Spain, that things really got ugly. Wouldn't you say, Abby? Yeah. So I would say for me, he definitely was someone that chose really like hot words, like things as in when I say hot words, I mean like things that make you feel guilty. And I, I think some parents potentially unknowingly do this also, but my parents had never done this. So I wasn't used to parents saying things like you're disappointed I'm disappointed in you and not saying I'm disappointed in you as you did something wrong, but to coerce you and manipulate you to feel a certain way. And I think he really used words. He wouldn't necessarily use four letter curse words at me, but he would say things where as a Christian girl, I just felt as if 
I had just failed the world, you know, to disappoint someone in what I was wearing, to not let them know who I really was because they felt as if I was hiding something from them when I was trying my best to be vulnerable and transparent and just show up as my best self in every aspect. It really was a manipulation instead of a tool to help me. And my mom is correct when she talks about the time where I was in Spain that he continually just I would say just aggravated me to the point of, I couldn't even think on my own. It would feel when I was with him, like there were just a thousand voices in my head and like someone was squeezing my head. And if you ever had like a migraine or a terrible headache, you might relate to that feeling of just not even being able to get a hold of your thoughts because everything is just pressing in and screaming so loudly. And that's how it felt to date him. And I don't think that I realized at the time how unnatural it was for a boyfriend to demand your location, to demand all of your attention, to demand your thoughts even, to demand that they choose what you wear until I was out of that relationship. But if anyone who's listening does not know that that is unnatural, whether they've lived in a family where it is okay or are dating someone or have dated someone that does that, it's not okay. And no one, no one should tell you those things or try to control your life in those situations because to not be able to think in your own head is not good or right and if someone makes you feel that way it's not healthy so leading up to this point and this is I think part of the conversation that we want to have is um you're the you're the firstborn right are you the oldest I am. And so as parents, we are trying to teach and train our children um, life and also prepare them for future relationships, um, dating, marriage, all that. And we are taking into account the way that we were raised and evaluating the way we were raised, things that we're hearing on secular media, as well as Christian media and books and, and all these things. And, and I have to say, you know, we're kind of feeling like trailblazers. Like I got to figure this out. And I think some of it is because maybe we're not doing a great job as the church universal to pass that on older women to younger women. And, and also I think we kind of take these runs at it and we have some unintended consequences, right? So what I, why I say that is even now my oldest daughter, when she hit those teen years, I, I started looking for the resources, like what books can I give her? What do we need to teach? You know, as our kids got to this dating age, what do we need to tell them? And we were evaluating all those things. I remember I had a whole barrage of books, right? And she read them. And, and then later she met her future husband, they got married. And then down the road here, I have the next teenage daughter. And I was like, oh, she's getting to that age. I need to go get all of those books out. And, and I couldn't find them. And then I said, Hey, Emma, do you still have all those books? Did you take those with you when you got married? I, I need to get those for the next one. And she's like, mom, those books were no good. I, I don't think you should give them to her. I, I Let's just call it a wash and start fresh. And I thought, oh no, what? I don't even realize, you know, like what, what did I give you? That was, I, I thought we were doing the right thing as parents. And so that's why I kind of am, am loving the opportunity to talk about this because I know listening, there's moms that are 
are starting to take a run at this. If they're not there yet, they're going to be soon. And they're starting to evaluate, how do I speak to my kids? What, um, what information do I give them to um, help prepare them to have a, a soft heart towards God's plan and his design, but yet also be aware of, of all these cautions that we have? So I don't know which, who, which one of you would want to jump in on that, but help me out. And maybe we need to start by defining some words. I don't know, because Christy, on your post, you, you put a couple words out there and I was thinking, oh, even now, you know, all these years later, I'm like, maybe that didn't mean what I thought it meant. Maybe right. I, I got well, off track because I didn't even know what I was asking. Right. Well, you know, there's, there's several things I would say here. First of all, you know, where we didn't really go in Abby's story. And I feel like it's important to mention before we begin to talk about that piece of it is when Abby returned from Spain, her abuser, her boyfriend, uh, the relationship got physical by force. And, you know, she, she had been, you know, taught about the importance of purity and um, saving sex before marriage and, and, um, until marriage, I should say. And so when that boundary was crossed and when um, he began to force that upon her, that I think was a very dark thing for you. When I mean, right, Abby? I'm not trying to put words into your mouth, but that was the bottom, right? Yeah. So I can just share a little bit about that really quickly, but I would say my abuser really just taught a lot of things to me about, um, physically how a girl should be for a guy. And a lot of things that I realized now after leaving that relationship were very manipulative and probably pushed farther. So because of their personal struggle with pornography, which is a whole nother issue to account for and talking to your teenagers about. But I think that his mind believed that women should perform in a certain way in a relationship. And so for me, I was, um, I became a victim of sexual abuse through coming back to the States after my trip in December, I was, um, raped by him and then told that after like responding and crying and saying, I never want this to happen again. Why did you do this to me? That uh, he didn't do anything to me. And I acted a certain way, which caused him to do a certain thing. And just to be clear, no action without consent should ever give anyone permission to treat you any certain way. Of course, not with your body, but in any other situation. And so when that became apparent that that was something he was going to continue to do in my life, I tried to fight it. I tried to get away. I tried to break up multiple times. I remember this very dark time where I left his apartment and to walk to my car, I had to pass a dumpster and he literally ran after me and slammed me into the dumpster. Like where I was sitting on the ground with my head against the dumpster. And I don't know if I passed out. I don't know anything, but I remember looking up the stars and thinking, the same God that loved me when I lived in Africa loves me now when I'm sitting here. And that's the only thought I could think. And I don't know how long it was that I was sitting there outside trying to get away from him. He later at another time took my phone, put 
beneath my tire and said, if you drive away, you'll crush your phone. You won't have any communication with your parents. You'll be cut off. Nobody loves you. And I'm staying with you because you have nothing that anyone else would want. I've ruined you. No one will care about you. You're a wasted Christian girl. You have nothing to offer the world. And would repeat these lies to me. So my mom is super correct when she says that was probably the lowest point of my life because not only was I actively trying to get away, but he made me feel crazy for wanting to leave and made me feel worthless and said that if I was to leave him, I would have nothing to get. And I think that comes to the point which my mom is heading towards where we have got to tell our kids that if something sexually happens to them or they're violated or raped or whatever you would like to categorize it as, they are not wasted damaged goods and they do have a future ahead of them. And I think that this man used that idea that often Christian families teach girls in particular, that is the case if they have some kind of sex before marriage or sexual intimacy with someone that they are then categorized as something else. We just have to teach that that is not the truth. And although our choice, if we have one, should be to save sexual relationships for a marriage relationship, if you don't have that choice, you're not less than. And I think my mom is definitely heading in that direction and teaches that really well now. But I would say as a child, no one ever said that to me. And so this man was very successful in using that thinking against me. Yeah. And, and so when you ask about like what we should teach our daughters, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't have all the answers. I did what a lot of Christian moms do. I bought the books. I gave them to my children at the age appropriate times. They read them. I was willing to talk to them about other things, but it wasn't an ongoing conversation in our home. It just wasn't. And because we were raising our kids in such a conservative circle, they were not comfortable bringing it up like I wish they had been. So I, I can tell you some things that we did wrong. I don't know the right answers. I do know some things that we're doing differently now. You know, when people reach out to me and ask me, you know, what books should we read our kids or what books should we give our kids? It's, I would just say like, there's not really a book that will do what needs to be done here. Yes, you can use books as resources, but books are not going to take care of educating your children. Uh, a few things that I would say to mamas are, you need to start a lot younger than you want to. It needs to be an open conversation in your house and not as something that's, you know, I think, I think as believers, we think we're doing the right thing by keeping it sort of this hush hush thing because it is sacred and it is reserved for a, a, a particular time and place, but it is a natural act that God created. And so I think we shroud it in so much mystery in so much secrecy that we give it this veil of, of almost shame or, you know, hush hush. And really, I think we need to be talking to kids about sort of the biological acts of it much earlier and more openly. And, you know, it's, it's not natural. I mean, we're trying to talk with it much more openly with our 14 year old did, than we ever did with any of our grown kids. And it's weird to me. <laughs> it's weird to me. I had always followed the philosophy, like when they ask questions, you answer just what they ask and no more, like as cleanly as possible, as sanctified as possible. 
I don't answer that way anymore. I, I give a little more of the grit than what feels comfortable to me. Not, and I'm not lucid or inappropriate or, um, lucid was not the word, but you know, I don't do it in a way that's inappropriate, but I, I am honest and try to leave the door wide open. And to the point that now he'll come to us with every, every word that comes up at school that he thinks might have to do with sex. And he's comfortable with that. You know, just yesterday, he asked me about a term that none of my other kids would have dared to ask me at 14, but we have just tried really hard to build this culture of, you can ask us anything and we'll answer you honestly. And like Abby said, we had very much raised our girls. I wouldn't say that we were ever full on purity culture. Like, you know, we, we didn't necessarily uh, teach our girls about courtship or that level, but we did very much teach them about how important um, it was to save sex for marriage. And, and that it is important, but at the same time, I think what we never said that I wish we had said is if for any reason, either by a mistake on your own part or a violation from someone else, God can heal you. He can, he can redeem that just like he can any other sin. It is not the sin that we do not bounce back from. You are not, your life is not characterized by before I had that. And after I had that. And I think that our Christian culture has, has set it up as you're either, you know, the bride who wore white or your damaged goods. And you know, we forget the Christ that's the bridge between those two things. And I think it's really important that we have conversations with our kids about that. You know, if, if something happens, there will be grace and we will still love you and, and it will be okay. Now we obviously still teach them about personal holiness. We teach them about God's standard, but we also have to teach them that his grace will be sufficient for everything in their lives. And I, I think that sometimes, especially in the conservative homeschooling circles that we raised our kids in, which I love, those are my people. But I think sometimes we err so hard on the side of holding up the perfect standard that we forget to talk about what will happen when we can't meet that standard or when we fall short, that his grace will be sufficient when we're not chivalrous enough, when we're not pure enough. And so... I think a lot of conversations with our kids about grace and sin are important. Abby, do do you have anything to add to what I, you know, as far as advice you would give moms? I would say a lot of moms, as my mom mentioned, have this desire to, I wouldn't say will their kids, but I think there is this without me being a mom, I understand that moms have this will that their children have the best life possible and the best outcome of things happen to them. However, as in the case of the person who abused me, they didn't care about the best outcome possible. And I met their mom. I spent time with their mom. I believe their mom loved them, but I don't believe that their heart was for the love that Christ had. And so in a situation where a mom has a child that chooses to go off the trail that they would hope for them, whether that be to participate in abusing someone or to become a victim of abuse. I would say that if someone chooses in the first situation, not to love Jesus and not to choose to follow him, you can't take that as a personal fault. And you also couldn't have done anything differently. And I think, 
I think although my mom has regrets and things that she wishes she could change, I think everything that we don't do the way that we want it to happen is a lesson. And so I would say then for the person that finds himself in a situation of being abused or a survivor of abuse, you can't change what happened to you, but you can choose how you react to what happened to you. And so as a parent and as a person who has been parented, I would just say you aren't always given the tools in life maybe to deal with everything that's coming your way, but you can use the tools that you've been given to deal with what has happened to you. And I would say the best resource is the Bible. I mean, if your child doesn't want to read the Bible, if they're not actively pursuing the Lord, that's not to fault you when they choose to not follow Jesus in a certain way. And it's also not your fault that they did that. But also if you want to follow the Lord as a person who loves him, the Bible is the best way to do it. And if you don't know ways to find Jesus, you can find him where he talks and that's the Bible. And so I would just say, if you're looking to see if your child knows about Jesus, ask them about scripture, try to memorize scripture with them. The darkest times of my life, I've always recited the scripture that my mom and dad taught me when I was a kid. And even just the other day, I was talking to a friend and she was telling me how she admires people who memorize scripture. And so she wants to do that more and just being convicted that what I hide in my heart, that God's word says is the best tool when hard times come and the best tool for if hard times come. And so I would say, if you're questioning what to teach your kids, teach them God's word and let God's word say to them what it says to all of us. You don't need any magic. You don't need any magic book or magic tools. Like the words of the Bible always fall true. And I think the Holy Spirit convicts and uses them for all of us in different ways at different times, but they're timeless. Well, and, and let's be honest, in the entirety of God's word, you can find pretty much every social issue you would want to address. The abuse of women, it's there. Rape, it's there. And so if you are willing to walk your kids at appropriate ages through those parts of scripture and look at that. And even one thing I don't think we did well for our girls is we didn't teach them to look at how Jesus treated women. You know, we, we raised our girls in an evangelical culture, um, you know, and, and we do have beliefs about women's roles, but the bottom line is Jesus honors women. Every interaction we see with Jesus in the word of God, he honors women. And I don't know that we elevated that enough in our girls. Um, I think we've worked really hard to do that over the last few years, but just not realizing that some of the subliminal messages that we were sending them by teaching them about women's roles, maybe we weren't teaching them enough about their value as a daughter of Christ you know, and, and the fact that just because you, we maybe wouldn't, wouldn't choose you as our pastor, that doesn't mean that any man can ever treat you like you aren't valuable. And uh, we, I just don't think that we thought to have some of those conversations. And that's something that I would just encourage moms to do is to really, uh, we never, ever said to our daughters, if you have sex outside of marriage, you're ruined. We never said that. We never said to our daughters, you are not as valuable to Christ because you're a girl. We never said those things to them. But I think that there were messages that may have been communicated 
through the greater picture of what we were teaching where that was what they may have internalized. And, you know, Abby left her abuser, was it June or July of that year? And I just want to tell you, Pam, one thing that I would say to moms is pray, pray for your kids. And when Abby broke that relationship off, it was, we had, we were we were alarmed. There were things that were happening. We did not know that it had gotten physical like it had. Um, in fact, she had even been untruthful to us when we flat out asked her that question. I think out of fear. It was one of the only times that I can say she really hid something like that from us. I think it was protection, but and she was terrified that if that relationship ended, she would never be loved again because he had convinced her of that. And you know, we had asked her and, and he together on FaceTime to please put the relationship on pause for 30 days. Our thought was if we could get them separated for 30 days, we could speak some truth into her. And he was very hostile towards that, telling us how the people in his church were, they were all for them and why couldn't we support them? And it, it was very ugly. And that night when we got off that FaceTime conversation, Ryan and I were distraught. We really felt like, do we even have a voice here anymore? And that night we walked the floors all night long, praying, just praying, crying out to the Lord, trying to decide if one of us needed to get a plane ticket and come and, and, you know, see her face to face. And that morning when the light of day came, she called and she told us that she had ended it. And, you know, one of the things that we, we've been in children's ministry most of our adult lives, and one of the things that we always teach parents is that you should have other adult voices in your kids' lives that are saying the same things that you would say, because there will come a time when your voice won't have the volume you want it to have, and you need a deep bench. And that proved so true for us that day that Abby called us and she said, mom, I've, I've talked to him and I've ended it. And we said, you're going to take the 30 days. And she said, no, I've, I've ended it. I'm done. She said, last night, after we got off the phone with you, I went over to see Miss um, Kimberly and Miss Kimberly was a gal that she had um, helped me teach a science co-op when Abby was, I think in the third or fourth grade. And she said, as I was talking to her, she said to me, Abby, has there ever been a time in your life where your parents asked you to do something that wasn't for your good? And she said, I came home and I thought about that. And I realized Miss Kimberly's right. And I knew I said, I spent the night reading and praying. Am I right, Abby, praying and reading my Bible? And so I called and I ended it. And so you know, some things I would say to moms are use every resource available to you. Prayer is so powerful. We say it, but, but it is, it is the number one weapon you have and build a deep bench, surround your kids with people who love them and will speak truth to them. Those, those tools, because Abby ended up in college in the same town where we had been for seven years before Africa. And so the ladies who ministered to her in the aftermath of that were, they had been her homeschool co-op teachers in elementary school. They were the ones who helped her pick up the pieces. I love that because prayer is going before and it's going out where you cannot physically be. And I think sometimes when our children are within our home, we still have this idea that we're in control. We never were. 
right? Oh, we, right. we never were in control, right? God's got his hand and in, 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 uh, involved in our lives to build our journey, each one individually. But we can pray for our children, no matter where they are in our home, um, across the country, on the other side of the world. And um, I think sometimes we think of prayer as um, the afterthought, but that's actually something that we can do no matter the age and stage right now, you know, right now, no matter where we are, we can set out to pray for them and um, prepare even prayer to help us know what we should be saying as we teach and train our children. And I love Abby that you said that, you know, some of the things that went through your mind at different parts of this journey was the scripture that you learned as a child. And that spoke to your heart as long as well as the relationships that you had formed with other adults who were there to minister to you, that community. That's so powerful. Yeah, I would definitely say um, something that really was a great tool for me was definitely the community that I had kind of been forced to neglect through that relationship that I had kind of just not even realized was around me. And so through leaving that relationship, I just found a lot of hope through those people that were older than me, but also a lot of people my own age that I didn't even know existed because I hadn't been able to form relationships with them, many of who are my best friends now that were in my wedding and who I talk to every day. And so it's really cool because after that, I started a prayer group at my dorm and just was able to use prayer as something that was a big tool for me. And prayer's always been like a huge thing in my life. In high school, I think it was my senior year, I helped start like a prayer room at my school where people could go and like continually pray and there were prompts. And I just think prayer is a huge, powerful tool. If anyone's interested in reading this book, a great resource for your kids or for you is this book called Red Moon Rising. And it's about continual prayer and it just changed my life um, by reading it. And so I think for me, just remembering the truth that prayer is important. And then I think prayer to a God who hears us, like the Bible tells us that Jesus intercedes for us um, using groans as words that we can't even explain to God ourselves. And so I think the mental picture of just knowing like Jesus could say for me what I was feeling, but I didn't have words to say to God was very powerful because as my mom mentioned, I didn't feel in that time like my voice was powerful or had a lot of weight. And so I think the fact that knowing Jesus who's inside of us can say for us what we don't know how to say was very empowering. But when I did get my voice to speak, and since then, something that has brought a lot of hope to me was trying to get like earthly justice against this person. So I think the biggest component since then has been trying to convict that person of like unjust motives and actions through the law. So I tried to proceed through a court trial, which was not successful due to the fact that I did not have a lot of physical evidence, but I had, you know, verbal evidence. I had text proof. I gave the law every piece of information that I had. And I think for me, that helped me to really gain a voice because I saw myself as someone who other people, even if they couldn't take it all the way to putting that person in jail, believed. And I had a lawyer, I had a 
private detective. I had people at police stations who listened to me and, you know, cried with me, heard me, just believed me. And I think to be believed helps you to feel important. And so whether you are someone who's listening to a story like this and wants to know what to do and have compassion, I would just say to listen and believe would be a good tool. But also if you're struggling to believe that you have value, find a person in the community who you respect as a listener and as someone who has wisdom, because I guarantee you, like I found, they will give you hope that you have truth inside of you and you have value and weight inside of you. And if nothing else, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, which gives you weight and value. So I just think that the component of truth and the scriptures and the power of prayer and knowing that what has happened to me and what might not be legally true, but is true is the reality of everything has really like brought a lot of hope and healing to me. Yeah. I think for me watching Abby walk through it and seeing her, you know, heal through it, there've been several key things. And for Abby, I think bringing it to light had a lot of value for her. And I think that there are so many women who, for whatever reason, shame or what have you, don't bring it to light. And I think that that can delay the healing. You know, for Abby, like she said, she wasn't able to get the law to convict him, but now he was very much exposed as a serial abuser. He was expelled from her school and lost his ministry job, which was really why Abby chose to come forward when she did is because he was about to launch as a church planting pastor the next week and she couldn't hold the secret anymore. But I think just there was so much value in being heard and having a voice. And so, you know, I think that women who've walked through abuse, they need to be heard and, and I think healing comes when you bring the darkness into the light. You know, you started out by saying there was this whisper club. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after I listened to your story, I kind of think it started out as the silence club, right? Oh, yeah. It was completely silent. It was hidden. We didn't talk about this at all. This was something unknown that we want to keep hidden. And then it became a whisper. Maybe it was a quiet whisper individually, then maybe a whisper a little further. And now we're in a club of, uh, hey, we're going to talk about this club. Hey, you know, there is redemption in the things that we walk through in our life and the journey that we go through. And let's not lose the power of that. Let's not lose the ability to breathe life into each other by the sharing of our stories, right? Exactly. Well, I I am so encouraged by Christy, your um, prayer for your daughter. And I think Abby, as as a daughter, I am sure that you also just, as one who loves prayer and talking to the Lord, the value that you, your parents um, pour out on you by praying for you. That is incredible. What an honor to have parents who, who pray for you and bring you before the Lord, even in their absence. Right. I would just say my biggest thing since coming out about surviving an abusive relationship and finding healing through that would be 
to let people know that you are not a certain kind of person if this happens to you and you're not a certain kind of person after it happens to you. And also I would say the biggest like thing that I use my platform for today is helping people to recognize if they are in an abusive relationship by sharing my own story. And so I would just like to say that if someone is wondering if they're in an abusive relationship or you're questioning, maybe you're a mom and you've stayed with someone for a really long time because you have kids and you're scared to leave because that is your family stability, maybe financially, maybe spiritually, you're afraid about how it's going to look. Or maybe you have a child that you're wondering if they're in an abusive relationship, or maybe you have a child that you know is an abuser and you can't, you feel powerless to do anything against it. I would just say, look for that person, look at that person through the way that Jesus looked at people that had sins, whether they were sinning intentionally or whether sin was being committed against them. I think that we can look to Jesus and see that he treated people with dignity. And so whether you are considering leaving because you see some of these red flags we talked about, you see manipulation, you see coercion, you see darkness being pulled around you that isn't your choice. I would just say, think about yourself in the way that Jesus thought about women. And that was always with dignity. And whether you're trying to, you know, help a child that's been through this or confront a child who's participating in this, like think about it with dignity, but also Jesus spoke with dignity and truth. And I think we can hold, we think a lot of times of life as like this either or situation, but it's both and. And I think Jesus speaks truth, but in dignity and in love. And so, you know, think of yourself in the future ahead of you. If you've experienced this through giving yourself the truth that that was hard and it can be hard for a long time and it might be hard forever, but you have beauty that is in your life despite that. And this person, these situations are not final. And I think eternity is so long and life is so short, but we get so caught up on these problems that seem overwhelming that we forget how big eternity is. And yes, we get to play a part in God's story, but God's story goes on in spite of us. And so just remembering like Jesus can use us, but Jesus also over all of us that it's not just our story that stops things or starts things. He is the one who does. So I would just caution people not to think of themselves as, you know, this big powerful thing that can ruin God's plan or this thing that's happened to them or might happen to them. It's Jesus, who is writing the story of redemption and gives us life and breath, and he can redeem anything, but he can also show love and dignity to anything, just like we can to ourselves. So just to encourage people to know that and to treat others that way too. Christy, I am proud of your Abby, and I just met her. I mean, you have got to be, what an amazing young woman that you have raised. And um, I'm, I'm just so pleased to have had this opportunity to listen to your story, Abby, and, and Christy, your story and, and your part in it. And um, we're going to still have you back for another thing at some point. That sounds good. I do talk about more cheerful topics sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. This is, you know, I want to say, Pam, no woman listening to this podcast thinks this will ever happen to them. I would have never in a million years dreamed that this would be our story. But 
you know, it has been. And I think Abby and I are both very committed to trying to steward it as well as we can and to, to give God the glory and to, to use what we've learned to try to help other women who might be walking through it as someone who's been abused, as a mom who loves someone who's walked through that. And uh, yeah, just we want to honor him. And you're right. We are very proud of Abby and thankful that, you know, I've told her she's, you know, so many people have said to me, she's so brave to tell her story. And I think that Abby feels like she has no choice, but to tell her story. You know, we were talking the other day, you know, many slaves made it to the North, but there were a few Harriet Tubman's who came back and said, here, I'll show you the way. And I think that's Abby's heart in this. She She's walked through the bondage and she wants to help others find the light. So thank you for letting us share. Hey, Christy one, or Abby, I guess whoever wants to, would one of you like to pray us out? Sure, I can definitely pray for us. All right, dear Jesus, I just thank you that you love us and you care about us, God, and you meet us wherever we're at, whether we want to recognize we're there or we deny it. Lord, you see us in the things that other people might not. And so I thank you that you are a personal God and that you treat us with the dignity and love that we sometimes don't even believe that we deserve or God recognize we're worth. And I just pray for those people that are listening today, that you would just convict them of their value and of their worth, whether that's so that they can leave an abusive relationship or confront one or God just be educated on the fact that things like this happen and the world is broken and we need you to heal our hearts. And I just pray um, for hope and healing. I know it can be hard to listen to something like this and know what next steps to take, but God, I just pray that you would make it clear for each person how they're supposed to shine a light for justice through knowing that injustice happens. And we see all through scripture that you bring justice and you bring hope. So I pray that our role in this world would continue to be people that carry that out like you do. We just thank you for the opportunity that we have to share your story of redemption and grace. And I just pray that we glorify you with this day. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pam. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the next step. And I, I have the, the other night when I read Christie's post, my next step was to sit down with my teenage daughter and say, wow, I just read this post. And I just had this, you know, or, or, or maybe today it's, I just listened to this podcast and can we just sit down and talk about something tough? Because sometimes when we open that door and just say, yeah, it's tough, but we're going to walk into it. Let's have this conversation. The Lord will bring the blessings. And so maybe that's where you guys are today. Um, I just pray that this podcast will go with you to um, give you some good food for thought either with your daughter, with another mom, somewhere. I'm sure the Lord is going to bless it. So thank you so much for being here, ladies, for listening. And um, if you want to chat a little bit more about this subject or any other mothering topic, come on over to the Facebook group, Less Than Perfect Christian Mamas, and we can keep chatting over there. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. 
And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.